Hey, hey, Pundit. Welcome to the Mini PC Show, episode 106. This is a show all about big talk from little machines, Raspberry Pis, personal little IoT things, all about security on those devices, uh, IP cameras, banana pies, nano pies, friendly Alexa. It keeps going and it never stops. This show is brought to you by UK Treats. He's a former Patreon. Uh, he started his patronage at 2017, November the 14th. I want to thank you very much, UK Treats. And if you would like to continue hearing this show completely ad-free, it is not difficult. It is not hard. All you have to do is go to patreon.com, search for the mini PC show, and you will come up to a uh, link. I believe it is patreon.com slash mini PC show, aka links are on the notes if you would like to partake. Uh, speaking of par um of um partaking we are also being partaken by flying rich how's everything going man hey man really good uh i had a brief conversation with somebody that was asking me about mentoring them into learning it tech stuff and i was thinking maybe three raspberry pies and a uh, switch would be a good way to get his feet wet what do you think i think the amount of education that can be benefited from a raspberry pi can be you can show them how computers ran in 1960 but you can also show them how things will run in 2023 oh yeah yeah and 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 i'll also say we are also joined this evening by brett how, how's everything going brett doing pretty good um just uh getting everything working again so getting back into the podcasting and uh appreciate you uh let me come on well first thing is on it's always good to talk to people period um brett is not re um re um placing brian i will say that when brian has time he will come back and he will partake and enjoy the conversation with everyone else uh brett is a what i consider a, a longtime friend so as being a longtime friend coming on to this show we always have to ask that first question and the longtime listeners already know what this question is dramatic pause the question is hey brett what do you consider a mini PC? If you had to define what it meant to be a mini PC, what would it be? Anything that involves a fruit and electronics, most of the time. I like fruit. I do too. But uh, basically, anything small enough to run on one battery is what I consider enough to be a mini PC. Because you can run a, a Raspberry Pi on a single battery. You can run. Um, you can run any of the Pies, any of the. You know, there, there's not much you can't do with a Raspberry Pi, or me personally, it would be an ESP32 and a LiPo battery. Yep. yep. Um, now, the stupid question to the audience I'll have is, well, how old are you? How long have you been involved in tech? And what's like the first mini computer that you think that you played with? Um, do you consider Arduino's mini computers? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I know exactly what I did then. Um, I was I'm 29 now. I think um, I've been doing uh, I've been doing electronics since I was 12, and my first project was an Arduino Uno that just got shipped to uh, Radio Shack. That uh, yeah, um, and I was so excited because I I had just started following this you know little company in Italy that was you know becoming bigger and and they got one at uh at radio shack and so i you know saved up bought one and uh my first uh real thing was like a uh like a a kit um night rider led back and forth um and you know i was hooked yeah k-i-t-t night industries 2000 yep very cool very cool um well, so you're 29 years old, yet in the mini PC world, you nearly have a gray beard. Check. Got it. Yeah, pretty much. Okay. Um, the only kind of like update I want to give is Pinebook Pro. Um, I the, Look, there's no way I can say this any clearer. Hardware, build, quality, supreme. This is like crunch wrap, burrito supreme kind of thing. It's difficult to have this kind of fit and finish on a device less than like three to four hundred dollars so this is a two hundred dollar device um i've ran now three operating systems on it in its entirety i ran the base pine os the debian for a couple weeks it ran fine 
I ran the Manjaro arm now on it for at least four weeks. It runs okay. Uh, and I ran uh, from SD card, uh, a Android operating system. It ran questionably is what I'll say. Um, I'm still getting easily eight to 10 to 12 hours battery life. Even when I pounded hard, I'm still getting really good battery life. Um, I have had intermittent random reboots happening, which I will say on experimental type hardware, it should be expected. Um, doing normal browser activity, doing normal email activity, doing normal text editing activity, it's still an unbelievably bargain for the price. Uh, and if you would like to get a Pinebook Pro, Pine64, just Google search that and you will be hooked up. And I will say, I did have the community um, lead from Pinebook uh, contact me after the last episode when I dared them to contact me. And I'll say it like this. I made it very clear. If you attempt to give me anything, I'm not going to keep it. I'm giving it away. Whether it be to Rich, whether it be to Brian, whether it be to Brett, whether it be to a listener, whatever, I can't keep it. And the long and the short of it is, I'll just say this. After he stated they spent multi-millions of dollars from their organization on getting the Pine phone made, he said, I think we can afford to give away some hardware. So, Oh, my gosh. That's I, good to hear. Well, it's good, but it's also one of those things. <laughs> you what? You spent what? Um, well, yeah. Yeah, that, that, that too. That's kind of scary. It's scary to me because I don't comprehend that kind of money. But at the same token, I'm happy that they reached out to me. I still believe in their um, methodology. I still believe in their morals and their ethics. And I'm still not going to take anything from them. And I dare them to try to bribe me otherwise. Because if they do something bad, I will happily state they did something bad. Um, It looks like their next board they're going to release is going to be a revised Rock 64 board, which is going to be more affordable, but the same specs. Uh, That's going to come out, I believe, in less than two months, and I might be able to get some boards to be able to give away. As a RK3399? Yes, the RK39, where it's the Rock 64, and the next one I want to say was going to be called the Edge 64, if I'm not mistaken. I honestly can't up remember. On um, I will say in the show notes, um, there's already like two or three links that I know we're going to have to mention. I will say the Pinebook Pro is one I'm going to have to mention. There was a February uh, update, I believe, from uh, Pine64, yeah, line 1189 in the notes. Um, that's basically, I'll say this, <sighs> not being political, but we had a recent president awarded a award for transparency and when the award was given it was behind closed doors which kind of makes no sense but with that stated we have an organization like pine 64 trying to do their best to uh, to be awarded a award in transparency uh every month they do a um complete rundown of This is what's changed. This is what's different. This is what's new. This is what is to be expected. And this is what has failed. And they've been utterly transparent about everything that's been going on. Uh, I will have a link in the notes to the February update from it's uh, from Pine64, the post CNY and FOSTEM status report. They do talk about everything from the Pine tab, from the uh, micro um, um, camera, and how the Pinebook Pro production has been basically put to a complete cease and halted thanks to the coronavirus, which they do expect, I will say, right about now, aka mid-March, to be picked back up and for delivery to be probably started back up in less than two weeks. Well, I I just got to give my spiel about Pine. Love what they do. Love how they do it. Big fan of their hardware. Um... I, I'm just impressed at the quality and price that they're delivering the quality at. So uh, I got a plan for a video series um, that I'm going to be doing with mini PCs. Just haven't kicked it off yet. I want to wait till I have a couple of episodes and then I'll talk about it. But uh, that'll, the, my Rock Pro 64 will be part of that. Um, personally, I've never... I actually... Haven't really been out of it, but uh, I haven't messed around with any Pine stuff yet. So um, I know it's kind of uh, 
bad, but there are a few things that I do want to uh, mess around with. The Pinebook Pro, at least, uh, nice. Um, the Pinebook Pro, as far as any, it does it compare with the, do you remember the Motorola laptop that we messed around with? Um, does that, does it uh, have any of the same styling or, you know, it looks kind of like it, which would be awesome. Well, first off, I'll say to the video watcher, you see in front of my disgusting mangled face, you see a Rock 64, which I have no problem sending to Brett. So he can experience what it ha- what it means to have a uh, Pine computer. And I have it here already packaged up, basically. Um, I'll say this. I have no hesitation in saying the Rock 64 embedded in the Pinebook Pro is near two to three hundred dollar chromebook type experience where everything i experienced on a lap dock on the motorola lap dock was unbelievably the best way i can put it is slow to evolve and laggy when anything you clicked took three to like 20 seconds for it to develop in front of your face and the pinebook pro i can click the keyboard almost as fast as i want and things just seem to happen Granted, I click the keyboard as fast as I want, and I still might have to stare at the screen for five seconds, but my keyboard strokes don't get lost into oblivion. Um, And there's a lot of things I can do on the Pinebook Pro, which will be very much normal computing-like. If it's loading something heavy, or if it's loading something new, or loading motion video, it does take a couple seconds, but it is unbelievably faster than anything I've experienced on any raspberry pi type laptop well that's that's good to hear um yeah i i did the uh, i recently got the pi 4 before the uh update um but i was able to run that on the motorola laptop and it it ran good but again losing the keystrokes into oblivion is a thing now where did you buy the pine 4 uh the pi 4 I'm sorry, Pi for yeah. Where'd you get? It? Um, I think I got it at Micro Center. Oh, okay, cool. You got a Micro Center nearby? Yeah, I've got I've got one about 20 miles away. That it's good that it's 20 miles away because well, probably 40 because sure. it's just just close enough to to get there, but far enough to where I don't spend every day there. There are no Micro Centers in Florida. Oh. Yeah, that makes sense. There's only a couple. You're on the East Coast, so yeah, there's there's a lot. And I'll say uh, hello to the Mac Geek. Hello to Red. Hello to Chatter on the Wire. Thank you guys for coming out live to the chat. And I'll say in the video also, here I have one of the Motorola lap docks. And here I have a second of the Motorola lap dock. I've had moderate success with the lap docks, not great success. I do see how they can become an unbelievably powerful, portable solution. Only if you have patience, is what I'll say. Uh, I agree you, with that. But I'll say this. If you can get a Raspberry Pi, uh, Pi 4 working with them, it's nearly usable. Where I will say the Pinebook Pro is at least twice as more usable as the Raspberry Pi 4. I'm not going to say it's laptop-like, but I will say it's really close to being like a real laptop. That's good to hear. That's Yeah, because the Pi 4 runs pretty good on the uh on the laptop i was able to get it uh running even on battery i don't have to externally power the uh the pi um like like you usually have to do but uh yeah it works really good and if but the keystrokes is the biggest reason why i don't use it because if i don't know if it's it's my second my second one that had the same issues so i think it might just be an issue you know so i thought it was you know if i get a new one it you know, or a new to me one, it would fix it, but uh, didn't do it. Gotcha, gotcha. And I will say one other mention of Pine Pine sixty four. Um, and it's not because they gave me any hardware to mention this, but I will say they did have an update. Uh, now it's line one one nine zero. Um, I've been a firm believer. If any company out there wants to try to partake in the mobile ecosystem it is going to be near impossible for them to do unless here's the big caveat unless they can take advantage of a pre-existing app store dramatic pause 
there's been an ecosystem that's been in existence for a while called Anbox, A-N-B-O-X. Long story short, on the Pine phone and Librem 5 phone, in theory, they've been able to get Anbox working on both of those phones, and those phones have been able to utilize the Android Play Store, okay? What this means is you you should be able in the future, hopefully, be able to buy a Linux-based smartphone, whether $150 or $1,000. You pick. I think we know what everyone will pick. And then you pick, and then you install this post-market OS, which is just a distribution. It's just like saying Debian. It's just like saying Red Hat. It's just like saying Ubuntu. It's just like saying the anti-Semitic Linux Mint. But instead, you're saying post-market OS. And then you'll be able to ubiquitously, blindly just say, enable Android, and it will enable Andbox, and hopefully allow you to install Android apps on your Linux smartphone just like you're running Android and get some of the ease of use, get some of the convenience, get some of the functionality you can get if you decide to buy a $2,000 Samsung phone. That's pretty neat. I like that. Um, well, between that and the, uh, now this was a while ago, but when uh, the Chromebooks got the Android ability or the Android apps ability, that was a big thing for me because um, although I still haven't, messed around with another uh, Chromebook since the last one I used, but you know, they're getting, they seem like they're getting better, but uh, yeah, being able to say, turn on Android, that'd be nice. That'd be really nice. Yeah. I will say some of the Android experiences on a Chromebook are unbelievably smooth. Uh, I, I think it, hate to say it like this. I think it depends on the Chromebook. I think it depends on the Ram seems to be the biggest feature. But if you get it running at all good, it is surprising how many games, how many applications, how many things you can run in a Chromebook, Chromebook. and it just, it just seems like it just works. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I uh, I also recently installed BlueStacks on one of my uh, one of my computers just so I could run my uh, webcam software. Uh, I've got quite a few Wise Cams that you know are fun to just have open and watch. So tell us what BlueStacks has to do with WiseCams. Oh, uh, BlueStacks is actually a, uh, um, I guess you can consider it a an emulator, an Android emulator that runs on uh, Windows. Oh, okay. um, yeah, so it'll run most things pretty good. Um, and the WiseCams, they don't have a Windows-based, um, or I even think Linux-based. Uh, why don't they just do a browser? I'm always like, why do they have to do yeah. this old app? Just do a browser, or I I know there's a version of the Wise software where you can get a, a a feed out of it. Yeah, that's the uh, that's the third party, I guess you could call it, uh, firmware that that allows for the IPRS. Uh, is that RTSP like that. or? Yeah, yeah, RTSP. Yeah, um, so it allows that. But uh, other than that, other than doing that, and I'm not wanting to do that to my family's cameras at the shop, so. Uh, on mine, I'll do it, but not on theirs. Gotcha, gotcha. I will say I have very mixed feelings about Wise as a company, uh, but I will say this. I do have a camera sitting about nine feet in that direction that I don't have a link for right now that I believe I can easily restrict what company has access to and have more features than a Wise cam, and you can go up to 4K if you're hardwired. And it costs less than 30 bucks. And you even have tilt, uh, pan, tilt, zoom functionality and infrared capabilities. But I'm not completely comfortable yet saying it is, in air quotes, the ultimate kind of personal, private webcam solution, IoT thing yet. I will say, so far, it is looking remarkably good, but... That's good to hear. Well, it might be, but if you take a look at line 1197, uh, this is a link I've been very slow to look at, very methodical to evaluate, uh, because this is technically an Android application. This is not a um, mini PC thing technically, uh, but it's called IoT Assistant, but the name is unbelievably misleading. 
This is by Carnegie Mellon University Labs. It's under the category of tools, E for everyone, completely free to download, completely free to install, no in-app ads, no in-app purchases, Android only, I'm pretty sure, no iOS. It does need access to your low um, location, and it does need full network access. What this application is trying to do is it's trying to give you, the user, the end user, the ability to see everything around you that is monitoring you, that is looking at you, that is accessing your personal private information and sharing it with external entities. Um, hypothetically, you walk through a mall, but you don't connect to anything. You don't give them any information, but you have Bluetooth enabled because you want your headphones to work. Well, there are Bluetooth markers that will identify you walking through the corridor and they'll have some profile about you. They might know you're 25 to 35. They might know you're middle class. They might know you earn between 80 and 120,000. They might know that you're single. They might know you're married. They might know that you work someplace, but they have a profile against you. And using this IOT assistant, it helps open your eyes to the kind of information that you're relinquishing to these external entities. Um, I encourage everybody install this application for one reason alone to give a comp to give an organization like Carnegie Mellon better understanding to what kind of information not only we're giving up, but the kind of information that other people are gathering about us. So now is this bi-directional? Does it know where I am and it knows where IoT devices are and it's using, you know, uh, georeferencing for that, but also using my phone, I guess, to pick up information and broadcast it back to them? I believe the only information coming from your device is your unique GUID or your EIN, your unique identifier to the network and where you're at. And then it does like a group um, gathering information to say, I know if you're at this place, these Bluetooth devices are enabled, these Wi-Fi devices are enabled, these mobile network devices are enabled, and they're doing a, basically a scatter gather of sweeping the network, finding unique IDs, gathering them up, and then pushing them up to the parent network or the father network for delivery to a greater source. Well, that's uh, that's interesting. I'm looking at uh, at a few of the reviews, and it's pretty funny. I can only imagine some of them being um, people that, let's just say, don't want that kind of information out there. You know, um, I saw one that said, "Why would you need this?" and blah blah blah. And yeah, it's it's pretty funny. But I do like the uh, like the idea of it. it. It's a very interesting setup. I just installed it on my phone. I know what I saw the first time I tried installing it on my Chromebook and it didn't work. Well, I will say it's one of those things. It will give you questionable results depending what area you're in. If you're in like New York City, you're going to get some really good information. If you're in the middle of nowhere, you're going to load this and it's going to say that no one is spying on you, which I'm pretty sure you already knew if you're surrounded by cornfields. But I have no problem saying on other shows, I say, if you don't know who has root, you don't know who does. The same kind of principle applies with IoT devices, where if you install a Amazon-owned Ring video doorbell, you should absolutely understand that you, as a user, have absolutely no control over that device. But I hope you really enjoy the convenience you get with the device, because, again, Security, convenience, opposite ends of a pole. That pole is unbendable. Those two ends will never meet. So if you go towards convenience, you will always lose security. If you go towards security, you will always lose convenience. It's just the simple fact of computing right now in 2020. No, I completely agree with that. I uh, And that's one of the reasons why I, I do like... Um, making my own stuff is I know the code. I know, well, what little code I do know, I know. And, uh, it's not someone else's. That's why I've been, uh, rooting around with, uh, 
uh, home assistant. You know, I, I worked with uh, I a buddy of mine gave me a Samsung smart things. I don't even think I hooked it up mainly because, you know, the whole you can't you, you have to push to the network to do anything. Um, but with like something like home assistant, you're running it, you're doing it. It's all you. And then, yeah, you have you have full, con- you know, as full of control as you want or need. My my paradigm with home automation is I, I and I do not strictly adhere to this, but the whole idea is my home automation should be autonomous and run only on my LAN. It should not be reached for anything uh, unless it's maybe weather data or something like that. Yeah, I mean, I do think the idea of edge computing and PII being a valuable asset to the individual, PII, personal identifiable information. It's like one of those hip things to say in executive meetings when you're talking about procurement card industries, aka PCI compliance. Um, but but I think we end users will be a benefactor to this kind of thing happening. And I'm sure I just confused about a third of the listeners, and I'm sorry. So let's just go on a tangent. If you go to line 1192 in the notes, this is another company I don't know if you guys know about, but this is another company that I am really happy to support. And there's a reason for it. Okay, first, let's talk about the hardware. If you go to LinuxGizmos.com, which I will say it's maybe my top three or four uh, SBC websites that I enjoy. And I say SBC in honor of Joe Heck, who had a single board computing show. And I think it maybe lasted two episodes, but I still really miss him. Um, and this is a link called Seeds, S-E-E-D-S, Seeds, Linux-friendly Gemini Lake SBC starts at $188. It is a uh, single board computer that can run Linux or Win 10, Windows 10, 1.5 gigahertz to 2.5 gigahertz Celeron J4105, which I do believe is like only a year or 18 months old. It isn't very old, but it's a little bit old. Uh, includes up to a 64 gig EMMC. Um, this is another single board computer optimizing that Odroid H2 x86 type form factor, dual NIC, USB, HDMI. Looks like it gives really good features and functions. 8 gigs of RAM seems to be the norm, which I gotta say, 8 gigs of RAM is just enough to tickle me and make me feel really good. Um, this is the kind of device, $188. It's a little bit more than I believe the normal, uh, like uh, one up board was the upboard. But I do think Seed Studio is a good company. And I'll just say it like this if you guys don't know, I'm going to say this again. I'll try to have this in the notes. Well, none of the upboards, like the up squared in the first upboard have two gig ethernet ports. So the first thing off the bat, I'm like, hey, this would be a great PF Sense box or doing some sort of x86 router. Uh, that would be a very good thing for it. Now, 188 bucks, it's a little on the pricier side uh, for doing something like that, but that that's, if you want to do something, it's kind of cool. Well, it's also, uh, it's Arduino compatible, um, which is really, really interesting for, for a single board. It's it's kind of a neat cross that I, personally I've always been interested in is running um, basically the Arduino style code on on a Raspberry Pi, but or on a on a single board. But it's never really you've never really been able to. But this is kind of a neat cross, especially with the two gig Ethernets. So it looks like it's got two pin headers. Uh, one looks like a standard Raspberry Pi header, and the other header uh, is, I guess, custom to what they're doing. I'm looking, does it have an SD card slot? Because it doesn't look like that. And does it come with the power supply? Yes, it does have a micro SD card slot, including a SIM card slot. Yeah, I just saw the SIM card. That's interesting. Oh, okay. I, I see it now. Missed it on the first. All right, so we got USB 3.1 Type-C, 3.1 Type-A. Makes me happy. Uh, and then two more 3.1 Type-A. So that, that's pretty cool. You got three 3.1 Type-A, which, where's the display ports? What do we got? We have one HDMI connector, and I believe every 3.1 could be a uh, monitor also, correct? 
I'm not going to say yes, but I'm going to say in a lot of cases, I've seen it be the case. I think, let me say it this way. I believe the 3.1 standard supports, uh, okay, so it It says HDMI 2.0A port and DisplayPort 1.2A via USB Type-C. So you can have two monitors off this, one uh, USB-C and one HDMI, and you can get a USB-C to HDMI cable. So that's no big deal. I I got that for my uh, Chromebook. I think I've got one for my Switch and my Samsung. Yeah, their uh, mono price is also a fun place to go. Yeah, and I don't know why I cannot find the link to the Android app. But here's the thing. Skimmer Scanner, S-K-I-M-M-E-R-S-C-A-N-N-E-R, is an app. I have my Android device that when I pull up to a gas station, I pull up to a convenience store, I pull up to any place where my credit card is being used, I run Skimmer Scanner. Skimmer Scanner scans the Bluetooth network for a specific set of MAC addresses over Bluetooth. Long story short, first set of Bluetooth IDs, the first half of Bluetooth indicates the manufacturer, the second set indicates the unique identifier per that hardware. Every, like Ethernet. It is like Ethernet, it's like anything else. And everybody who runs skimmers on credit card machines where you put your card in and it works, but they also pick up their own information and save it. They all use this super cheap Bluetooth that came out of Hong Kong. No way. So they all have the same beginning Bluetooth Mac address in the skimmer scanner app. I thought it was from Seed Studio, S-E-E-E-D Studio. I run every time I go to any establishment. Twice in the last three years, I ran Skimmer Scanner. Once was at a liquor store. Surprise! Once was at a gas station where I immediately told the person, pump number six has a skimmer on it. I'm not touching it. Let's call the police right now to go get it off the device. Um, Seed Studio is one of the companies that not only, in my opinion, make really good hardware, but they also do everything in their power to support the community. So while you hear me waxing, on Pine 64 and waning on Raspberry Pi, Seed S E E E D Studio is another manufacturer who I really feel positively about as doing the right thing. So I expect to have an email from Seed S E E E D Studio in the next week offering me free hardware as well that I can give away to listeners. Let's hope. I'm looking around. I just do not see that in Google Play. I want to say it's been taken off of Google Play, and it's only accessible directly from seedstudio.com, but I will find out, and I will try to provide a link. If I remember right, there's also a skimmer scanner that you can build that just runs in the... uh, It's like a... uh, I think it's an ESP32, which, of course, is an Arduino-style board. Um, I see guest pump skimmers, learn.sparkfun.com. Yeah, I think that's probably, yeah, because there's definitely a way to do that with where when you drive up, it'll just say, hey, don't go there. That's very cool. Now that you say this, I'm looking at sparkfun.com. I think you might have, uh, a.k.a. cracked the code. It wasn't Seed Studio with that stated. I still have no problem saying Seed, S-E-E-E-D Studio. Put that really good stuff. Sparkfun is where you go if you want to hack and learn the basic techniques, I think their prices are fair. I'm not going to say their prices are great. Compared Ameritoid, to Adafruit. Well, Adafruit is a ripoff. I have no problem yes. saying that to late, to late Adafruit. I'm tired of paying for your hair hey, dye. come on. She, she went to MIT. She's got to pay for her Dude, education. I've been to MIT, and I'll say to anybody at MIT, you can stuff it. Um, I'm tired of paying for your hair dye. Okay. When it comes to pure value, a Maridroid is still maybe number one. Uh, C yeah. Studio and SparkFun do have some really good stuff, though. I did notice SparkFun isn't being um, carried. Well, at least for a while, it wasn't being carried at uh, Micro Center, which kind of made me sad. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's good stuff. It's and and it's fun stuff. At, at least for for me, it, it's always fun. Yeah, I will say SparkFun. Look, look. Adafruit is more of the first world, dare I say, sorry if I offend anyone, the privileged people yeah. who can afford the hackery type thing, uh, where if you take a look at SparkFun, and here's the link I found, uh, sparkfun.com 
slash tutorials slash gas dash pump dash skimmers that all this is the skimmer scanner that i run and it's available on github surprise where i can where i have personally identified two skimmers and i really do hope to believe that i've been able to at least get rid of some bad things happening in my local community because i don't care about new york city i don't care about la i don't care about houston i don't care about london i don't care about sydney australia i don't care about beijing i care about my local place where i go to on my way to work so i was searching around i found skim plus bluetooth skimmer detection yeah i think you have to download the apk uh-huh. which is the Android installer application directly from GitHub in order to get this application. I will say the thing I like about this application is you can load it, you can run it, and then as soon as it's done, the first option it gives you is turn off Bluetooth and exit. Um, few things give you the ease in transition of using and exiting. If you don't know what I'm talking about, log into anything. Log into Twitter, log into Facebook, log into Google, log into Outlook.com, log into anything. And to find the log out button is near impossible. Load Skimmer Scanner from SparkFun and it's right in front of your face. Okay, but I need their hardware to run this or I can just run this app? It's just an APK. You can run it from any Android device because I run it nearly every day. Now, I do have a Chinese phone. I don't know if, if that matters. Could be. <laughs> okay, well, I want to take a pause and say, again, thanks, everyone, for their support. Thanks, everyone, for coming out, uh, whether it be Red, Chatter, or anybody else. And if you want to follow us, it's very easy. Click the notes in the show, and you can then be notified when we go live. You can follow us in Discord. You can follow us in Mattermost. You can follow us in Twitter. You can follow us in Facebook. You can follow us anywhere you would like to follow us. If you're an anti-Semite, don't follow us and don't send us emails. It makes me feel a lot better. Um, I will say, uh, Rich, is there anything in the IoT and the mini PC world that you're expecting, that you're looking forward to, or that you discovered in the last couple of weeks that you find interesting or just uh, something that, that you wanted to look at? Uh, well, first, there there was an announcement about the Raspberry Pi 4 that there's a new version. Uh, they fixed the power issue uh what else there there are a couple of other little fixes with it so i guess uh we might have mentioned this on the last show that there's no one gig raspberry pi 4 anymore they're only going to have the two gig the two gig is now taking the one gig price uh and the four gig price is remaining the same now dor did you get your raspberry pi in a box that had a spot for it to be checked off as a six gig well, I pick up my box and I look around and it wasn't, I don't think it was the box itself. I think it was the paperwork inside did have a place where they could have highlighted six gig. Um, I'll say this. We didn't talk about it on the show. Um, they finally killed the one gig version. Raspberry Pi Foundation, welcome to 2017. My name is Dora Dora Geek. Um, to finally kill a one gig version is long overdue, long overdue. Uh, they also fixed the USB-C and, the, and a lot of sites say power issue. It wasn't that they fixed the USB-C power issue. They fixed the USB-C standardization issue. They had a non-standard USB-C port where if you bought a true I, I triple E certified USB-C cable, there was a small chance a, it would burn your board or B not power the raspberry Pi successfully. So they finally changed everything to be completely USB-C supportive, which I will say good on you. You killed the one gig board again. Welcome to 2017. Thank you for catching up. Now, when are you going to kill the two gig board? Because nobody wants that either. Is my opinion. <laughs> Uh, so I believe it was not getting properly recognized. It was getting recognized as an audio device, and that's why it wasn't setting power. Yeah, it was one of those things. It, it depended on the cable that you provided, but it was, I know, on some instances being confused as a, I don't want to say audio device, but you're right. It was like a streaming audio input. All right, so uh, let's see what line is it in the notes. I wanted to talk about this one. The the four the cluster board for the Raspberry Pi four actually work on any Raspberry Pi with a pin header. 
one two one nine. All right, so one two one. Um, I you know as much as I want to speak very positively about things, um, this one concerns me a little bit. Uh, basically, if I'm reading this correct, it's a five port switch, which is a com- gig switch, which is a commodity item. You can get them for fifteen bucks anywhere. Um, and it's a board with some jacks, and I don't even think it contains a power supply. And their GoFundMe, I, now I, I've been looking at this for a while. Uh, let's see, Kickstarter. All right, so their Kickstarter, I think they wanted fifteen grand, and they got twenty-three grand. I, their the last time I perused their Kickstarter page, it didn't have a whole lot on it, and I'm. Boy, I'm I'm feeling like a real jerk saying this. And if I am a jerk, call me out. I would be highly suspicious if anybody sees a product. Um, I'm shocked that people are paying eighty bucks for this because there isn't eighty dollars worth of value there. I don't think there's forty dollars worth of circuit traces there. You know, and I don't. Hey, Brett, tell you're probably more into this than I am. I, I haven't been in this field in a while, but I know I can go to one of these board houses, you know, lay out a design. Screw that. I'll, I'll just give you a five port gig hub for $15. And I can get a couple of headers and lights and switches put on. What, what I was actually kind of, uh, you know, looking through the design specs is could I deliver a board like this? Uh, could I do a flying rich cluster board with a UPS built into it? So one up them with a UPS at the same price. It, it'd be very close to not making money, but I, I think for the money they're asking, they they need to do a little bit more. Because I also was going to include a power supply. I was gonna you're gonna just have to plug the crap in. That would would have been it. Yeah, I mean it's it's I can't see you spending much, you know having more money into it than than that that is ridiculously i mean it's personally it's it's quite a bit overpriced just it it looks like they're using a laptop power supply which i do not believe is included i don't think it is so i I, and again if anybody out there's listening to me and they think i'm a jerk about this call me out on it because I'm happy to be wrong. I'm happy to say, hey, these are guys starting up and they're doing a good thing. Because cluster computing really, you know, tickles my fancy. I'm very interested in this. Uh, but 80, 90 bucks for this, uh, you know, unless you're including a UPS and a power supply, it, I don't see the value. I would see the value in just the UPS. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to say I see the value in it. To be as positive as I possibly can be is... I can see somebody thinking they need such a thing. And what I mean by that is I can see somebody saying, self, I would like to start hosting these clustered computings, but I don't want to worry about X. And when I say X, I mean these hosting boards. I can see it being $30, $40, $50 maybe. $60 with some kind of backplane. And when I say backplane, I mean the power solution layout kind of thing. For 80 bucks for this thing to get $23,000, that just proves to me that there's thousands of people out there that are incredibly stupid, naive, incompetent, ignorant, and have too much money. All right, this doesn't even come with a case or a 3D no. printable rendering of no. a case. All it comes it... off with standoffs. And standoffs have been in existence in computers since maybe 1970s. Yeah, I, I, again, please tell me if I'm wrong on this. I want to be positive in, well, in the community. You're not and right. I, and it's called Clover Pie, and I'm Irish, so I dare these Clover Pie people to come call me a jerk, because I'll tell you, you're not Irish. And what you're doing is you're trying to compromise a certain market just to get some short-term gain, because what you're offering is not an actual solution that anyone can use to any kind of profitability or some kind of big goal kind of thing. You're offering somebody a solution that they'll be able to clickbait put on Instagram and maybe get some clicks because you're not putting anything out there that I claim is being 
actual, genuinely usable. So if you thought you were a jerk, Rich, I think I just trumped you. You out-jerked me? I, I heard you're good at that. I'm good at something. So if, if we're wrong, the links will be in the notes. And I definitely encourage everyone, go take a look at this Clover Pie. A, they have a great name. Clover Pie is a really good name. Because well, it's a cluster board, so you get clover, you think three or four. So I think right. it's a really good name. Yeah, I, I think the naming is good. I, I'm a little surprised at their Kickstarter because it doesn't make me say, oh, wow, these guys are professional. Or they, they didn't even do a funny video. Or, you know, like, I've spent blah, blah, blah developing this board. It's got the highest quality, whatever, you know. The, the video isn't even that interesting. It's just the board spinning around. Oh, the video is horrible. The video was done. There's no voiceover. Like, yeah, the video was done out of like uh, somebody from Hong Kong that can't speak English. Right, and believe me, I know bad video. Look at my YouTube channel. I'm sorry. I, I think you're mumbling there. I missed that. Um, what's that YouTube channel you speak of? <laughs> FlyingRich.com. I'm sorry, FlyingRich. FlyingRich.com will get you to all my social media, but FlyingRich is my YouTube channel. I thought you were going to say FlyingRich.com will send you somewhere completely different. <laughs> no. Gotcha, gotcha. It, it actually, I, I got to do a fix on that. Some, some software is broken on the site. So if you go there and it doesn't look good, it means the beta hasn't been alpha or production yet. I know, but by the time people download and listen, you don't got to worry about it. Um, here's a link I wanted to talk about only because I'm constantly infatuated with how, how can I put this? How gaming network wise has completely changed over the last 40 years. I'm old. Hi, I'm Door Door Geek. Line 12 12 in the notes. Okay. Oh, cool. I was actually going to add this too. Okay. Yeah, this is called Parsec. P A R S E C. The only way I can explain this is you can have a multiple differential type of people. Some people can be running Parsec. On an iPad. Some people can be running Parsec on an Android phone. Some people can be running Parsec on a Linux computer. Some people can be running Parsec on a Raspberry Pi. And then you will need to have somebody running Parsec on a Windows computer. But you could all be playing multiplayer network games that are not designed to be network gamed. Okay? Hypothetically, old school Gauntlet was four player. You could have a Windows computer hosting a Parsec instance and have somebody on the iPad, somebody on an Android device, somebody on a Raspberry Pi connecting to your Parsec instance, and you could all be playing old school gauntlet like you're all sitting together in the same room at the same time, even though you're all continents away. This is the kind of ubiquitous gameplay I expect to come in the future, and here's the reason why. The computing power that was needed in the 80s and 90s, it's just a question of differential, where this little computer back then only ran so fast. Now you have a wide area network over continents where the same things can happen at the same speeds and still traverse continents with communications because the local hardware is now so fast. So hypothetically, I could be playing pro wrestling with NES from a guy from Australia, and it could literally be exactly like 1986 speeds all over again. Parsec, P-A-R-S-E-C, is the kind of thing I really, really, really do encourage people to look at and check out. I do believe you need a Windows host in order to run this thing correctly, but you can run anything from Street Fighter Mega Man, Double Dragon, any kind of old school game. I do believe it has to be available via a Steam port. But this is the kind of thing I really do like looking at. I don't have the time to play with, but it seems really cool. It's funny you say that. I've been using it the last three weeks. Um, that's why uh, That's why I was excited when I saw it was on here. Um, I use it for, well, I guess I'm using it completely wrong then. Because... Uh, the way I have it set up is I have it on my old Dell server. I have a virtual machine running my running a Windows, um, uh, running a virtual Windows machine with a graphics card and all kinds of you know. I think it's got like 32 gigs of RAM and 
15 cores or 16 cores and uh, all dedicated to that. But I just use Parsec to log on to the computer. So, and it's, it's by far the fastest, you know, I play my games on it. Um, I use Fusion 360. I do CAD on it. I do everything. Basically, I'm logging into this computer as a remote machine. And it's just very easy with Parsec. It's really nice. Yeah, it's almost like a terminal server. You install it on a computer in your network, and then you can access it like it's just another part of your network. Yeah, except you can do it outside too, and it's great. I love it. Yeah, you just have to have the port forwarding enabled, then you can access it anywhere. And here's the one thing. It even advertises on the homepage of being able to use things like the more modern Cuphead, which I will say, I understand its appeal. It's not for me, but dang it, I understand the appeal. But also, everything from Cruising USA and even GoldenEye. And if I didn't just make some of your private parts tingle, tingle by saying GoldenEye, maybe you're listening to the wrong podcast. Sorry. Yeah, actually, uh, that's funny. Um, I actually run my uh, my Star Wars, the Old Republic game, the MMO, um, through it, and it works great. Yeah, the uh, Knights of the Old Republic. Uh, yes. Yeah. No, that no, game... no, no, the Old Republic, oh, not Knights okay. of the. The Wait, Knights of the Old yeah, Republic it, was the one. Yeah, is yeah, the Knights of the Old Republic is the PlayStation game. This is the yes. current MMO RPG, like a World of Warcraft style. That nobody seems to know about. Well, they don't even seem to know about, but the ones that do give it very high marks. Yeah, it's uh, I play it daily still, and it's just it's it's a fun game. It's um, yeah, it's it's basically uh, World of Warcraft with lightsabers. That's the best combination I can even think of. And just you know, if you're playing with somebody on that, and they ask you how do you enable something, you just tell them Alt plus F four. That or slash G. Slash that G re- yeah. yeah, yeah, that removes them from their guild. It's great. It's so easy to troll people. Oh, it's great. Okay, well, we've been going on for about an hour, and I'll also say this. Rich, Brett, and Brian, and anybody else listening, if there are things that you would like us to talk about, please never hesitate. Send us an email, minipc at podnest.com, and we will try to bring it to the show. If it's, you know, worthwhile, if Brett likes it, if Rich likes it, if Brian likes it, if I like it, we'll bring it to the show. Otherwise, you can always send us a voicemail at 7076podnut.com. Even if it isn't interested, we'll probably still bring it to the show. So I'll say, Rich, is there any last-minute things you saw in the notes that you would like to bring to the show? I'm going to guess Joel took your breath away. Am I here now? Yes, you are. Okay. A complete listing of self-hosting software for the Raspberry Pi. Now, maybe it's just worth a mention and saying, hey, it's in the notes and we go through it later, because I'm guessing we could go through that and spend a lot of time. What line in the notes was that? I'd have to know what I clicked on. Kind of helps. I've been clicking around. There you uh, go. Line 1221. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'll say this. This is a link that we've actually secretly brought to this show maybe three or four times, but I still, every like week, come across somebody that doesn't know about this link so i always feel the need to reshare to relink to redistribute this link the raspberry pi computer is one of the most powerful computers in the realm of self hoping uh, self-hosting server applications with incredibly ease of use is what i'll say um so yes this is a james Something I get, read the friggin' notes, people. Uh, a whole good link of er, all kinds of things self hosting, whether it be analytics, automation, blogging, bookmarking, calendar, communication, content management, e commerce, document management, enterprise, resource planning, federated identity authentication, feed readers, file sharing, games, gateway, groupwares, learning, maps, and GPS, media streaming, and only up to M. It just keeps going and keeps going and keeps going. I love the idea of self-hosting and owning your own content, your own network. And this is a fantastic link. I like that. That's that's awesome. I you thank you. You know, you've you've just killed the next week. Well, and honestly, looking at this lick looking at this list, this is the kind of list I look at and I have no choice. I have to buy another Raspberry Pi four. And I know I could probably get by with another form factor, another another device, 
But I also know if I buy a Raspberry Pi 3 or Raspberry Pi 4, everything on this list will just work. Well, I've got an extra couple Pi 3s. Um, so if you uh, if you need one, let me know. I don't think I have any 3B pluses right now, but yeah, I have plenty of 3s. Well, I have a 3 plus sitting here running my, um, I have no problem saying wasting energy, even though you can't waste energy, wasting energy running my pie hole software because I still think it does. Well, I'm sure it does. No, no, no. I'm sure it does something because I know. It does nothing because I don't browse anything on the internet on a desktop. I don't browse anything on the internet on a laptop. I browse the internet on my Android device and smart cookie does a ballistically better job than any pie hole instance could ever do. Okay, so for us pedestrian people... Um, Old people, you're boomers. <laughs> oh god, I got called that. My, my household, let me just say, the amount of data I pull down is dramatically less. If you look at the charts since I installed I need pie numbers, hole. not just dramatically less. I, I can get you numbers. Okay, I need numbers because to say dramatically less could be anything. It could be one percent. Basically, all right. So typically, it's one third less because I was near the terabyte all what? the time. One third of a terabyte. So three hundred megs or so, three hundred gigs. Yeah. So a month. Yeah. You That's only use a terabyte a month. I know. The, I'm capped. Oh, you poor thing. Exactly. I'm right. <laughs> I, I I almost use that on my mobile plan. I uh, my mobile's unlimited. Yeah, my my uh, my top on a mobile plan is six forty, uh, six forty gigs in one month, and uh, yeah, when I had that five hundred uh, up and down from the FiOS, it was uh, it was fun. I did four terabytes in a day. It was oh, awesome. Geez. It was great. Well, and I'll say this: one of the things I'll the caveat I'll give about Pi Hole is if you use a Google Chrome browser, you might as well not use Pi Hole because Google Chrome realizes it's being pie-holed, and it works around it. That's not fun to hear. It's the truth. Hashtag truth. Get woke, people. Yeah, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna sorry. not say anything to that. I'm sorry. <laughs> Actually, there's a Saturday Night Live um, skit on on woke jeans. Oh, I have to send that to you. I'll send it to you. It is great. Yeah, because I found out part of my annoyance with. The pie hole was when I ran on my Android device, the Google Chrome browser, the Google Chrome browser on Android was intelligent enough to realize it was being pie holed and it would work around and show you more ads. So then on my desktop computers, I ran Firefox and Google Chrome and I noticed I was seeing at least twice as many ads on Google Chrome. It's because Google Chrome realized it was being pie holed and it worked around it. I will have to check that out. I'll have to say they just came up with a great name for it. I want I've used it just because of the name. It it's just pie hole is just such a great name. I'm not gonna argue there. Um so was there any last second things you wanted to bring to the show, Brett? Um actually um it's just a little tutorial place that I that I'll probably be pulling from uh quite a bit is a place called Random Nerds Tutorials. It basically um, specializes on ESP32s and just seems to be everything you can think of from um, low-powered weather stations to uh, quarter-sized cameras, all based on the ESP32. Um, they're really neat, and there's a lot you can do with them, and this this website definitely um, shows a lot of what you can do with them. Right. Can you give the elevator pitch on what an ESP32 is? Yeah, so basically, um, imagine an Arduino Mega, um, the big, beefy, you know, twice the size of a um, Raspberry Pi. Um, imagine that, only twice as fast, with Wi-Fi and Bluetooth, and uh, about the size of 50-cent piece. Um, you know, it's a, it's a very small form factor. It's you know, there's very there's a bunch of different types, but basically, it's an Arduino that has Wi-Fi and Bluetooth built in, and it's and low cost, low cost, low cost between four and five dollars. Yeah, and you can get ESP32 cams and with you know cameras built in and the software, everything. 
Yeah, um, you can get the cameras that uh, basically you still have to. It, it's a it's definitely a do it yourself maker thing. So you do need to. There's libraries for everything, but you still need to program a lot of it, or you still need to know what an Arduino IDE is. That's you know all you got to do is just copy the code and upload it, but. You need to know how to do that. I was going to say, unless you're me, I just like add, you know, comment or uncomment whatever config line to make it work. Yeah, that's that's all you need to know how to do, basically. And I've actually used my Raspberry Pi to program an ESP32. Yeah, no, I I did that too, and it's it's awesome to to be able to do that. Unfortunately for me, I think I used a Raspberry Pi two, and it took three hours to compile the code. Ouch. Yeah. Well, time is nothing but a number, right? Sure. Actually, I usually compile on my Mac and uh, then then send it over to the Raspberry Pi and then do the programming. Well, quoting Joel, what's his thing you call compiling? <laughs> well, and I will say, I don't think I've ever heard of randomnerdstutorials.com, but you kind of had me at nerd. Uh, yeah, I know. That's one of the reasons why I first saw it and kind of went to it. It's a, it's, it's an interesting, and you know, I've bought in a couple of his books. They're incredibly detailed. Um, I think uh, the the one that I got recently was the ESP thirty two one. It's like five hundred pages. Comes with fully documented everything and video courses and all that fun stuff. And it's like twenty five bucks. Good price. Yeah, so it's like for what you get and, you know, the the Facebook group that is part of it. I'm sure I lost door with that one. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but with, with basically everywhere you can go and, you know, you can email them. You can they're very helpful. Gotcha, gotcha. I will say I'm becoming close. I'm saying this very slowly. I'm becoming very close in uh, be, to becoming a esp um user and it's i'll send only, you five well it's only because of this and i don't know if you know this brett uh vs code visual studio code is visual studio stripped of everything and put into the open sphere well here's the gimmick line 1199 i believe in the notes is a link to vs codium vs codium is microsoft visual studio code with all the Microsoft proprietary binary blobs taken out of it and still retains all of the extension add-on ecosystem. I've been able to do more in the last three weeks of my nine-to-five job using BS Codium than I think I've been able to do the last eight years of my employment because of the plugin architecture and the ease of use. Once you learn the shortcut keys to BS Codium, it becomes really useful and functional. And I believe I found at least two or three ESP type uh, add-ons that I could put into VS Codium to help me, the incompetent me, to become much more productive in ESP, uh, like shorthand programming. And yeah. quick, I was able to install this on Pinebook Pro. That's good. Yeah, no, I'll, uh, I'll send you a few because uh, I have extras. Remember, I uh, kind of sort of bought 100, and I've used about 15 of them. I do remember that, and I'll say, if you don't know about VS Codium, this is the way I'll put it. This will be a great introduction to deblobbed binaries. Um, back in the day, you had a choice to use IE or Firefox. Firefox was a good introduction to deblobbed web browsing experience. Well... You can use a whole bunch of closed source binary IDEs, um, developer type ecosystems, or you can use VS Codium. And I'll say this, if you haven't experienced this on Windows yet, I encourage you to look at Chocolaty, C-H-O-C-O-L-A-T-E-Y. It's a package management system for Windows. It uh, enables you to install a broad spectrum of software through a simple command infrastructure like Linux. And one of the things you can install is VS Codium. If you install hacking with code, I will tell you right now, you install VS Codium, you take a look at the extensions, you will be genuinely shocked at the amount of productivity you can get versus the amount of time it's going to take for you to invest. 
Yeah, can you uh, put that, the chocolate in the notes? Because that sounds interesting. I will do my best. Thank you, sir. And while I hit keys on my keyboard, I will say uh, thank you to Rich. Thank you for Brian asked the cable guy. Uh, thank you for um, Brett for coming out. Thank you for Charles for coming out live. Thank you for uh, Rich for hitting the thumbs up on YouTube. Thanks, Chatter. Thanks, Red. Red, I really do miss you, man. Uh, the Mac Geek, even though you're a Mac Geek, thank you for coming out. Uh, all you guys, all you got to do is follow us on any of these platforms. You'll be able to join us as well. And if you would like to partake in this show, all you have to do is send me an email and then prove to me you don't have complete garbage audio and you too can uh, partake in this episode. Uh, I will say, do not forget. It's very easy. Mini PC at podnos.com, 7076 at com. You can just contact us any way you want. Uh, and do not forget big talk, little machines, Thank you, everyone, and we'll talk to everyone again real soon. Hi, this is Matt from the MRP Tech Podcast. I would like to invite you all to take a listen to my show, the MRP Tech Podcast, on the Podnuts Network. The theme for my show is Everyday Tech for Everyday People. We talk about Windows, Mac, Linux, iOS, Android, Chrome OS, and anything else technology-related. You can find us on iTunes, and you can find us by searching in any podcatcher. We hope you take a listen and let us know what you think.